Pursuit of Podcast, a purely guest-centric show focusing on people and organizations that advance positive change. Positivity can be anywhere, and in a time of vast discord, the pursuit of is finding those who champion its causes loudest. Join us as we sit and learn about the pursuits of local leaders in their community. Let's go. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Pursuit of Podcast, where it's truly not us, it's you. I'm Ryan Buck, Artist Development, New Leonard Media. With me, as always, is the boss, Mark Wilson, President, New Leonard Media. How are you? Hey, hey, hello, Ryan. I'm well. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Yeah, is it nice out? It's okay. That's enough of that. So our guest today is Jessica Willis, Offender Success Program Regional Director at Networks Northwest. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, we chatted a little bit before we started, and mm-hmm. this is your first podcast appearance. You're doing great. Thank you. Already. Thank you. It is just the beginning. We'll see. At the thank t- you. Hopefully this is the first of many. <laughs> so if you can, tell us about the Offender Success Program and how it, in general, kind of fits within Networks Northwest so people are aware. Sure. So the Offender Success Program is something that came to our community way back in 2005. It started as a pilot program. And at the time, the state of Michigan was really struggling with, number one, the number of people we had in our prisons. But also when they would come out, the impact of them committing a new crime and returning to prison and the effect of that having on our state budget. It cost approximately $34,000 to house one individual in a prison for just one year. And when you have over 50,000 people in prison in your state, that really causes an issue for our state funding. A lot of that money could be going to other things. So, And without help, the chances of them going back to prison are statistically very high. Very much so. Right. Yep. At that time, our state's recidivism rate was around 50%, which means one in two people, when they would come out of prison, they were likely to commit a new crime and go right back. So it was really almost like a revolving door that we were looking at in our state. So it was really a crisis. And at that time, they started this pilot called the Michigan Prisoner Reentry Initiative, which really was an entirely new way of doing business for the Department of Corrections, looking at early release dates, releasing people, a variety of different policies that they did. But then one of the tools was this reentry initiative pilot that they did. And we were lucky enough up here in Northwest Michigan and Networks Northwest to be the administrative agency for that pilot. And what it was is working directly with our local parole agents, um, community providers, as well as the state, and identifying what resources these individuals need when they're coming home, because these are our community members. These are not individuals from other parts of the state. These are people that are here and are going to come back home. So what do we need to do to help them out? Was Networks Northwest the only organization in contention for for this partnership? Or were there other organizations that fit? Potentially, there could have been others at the time. There was, you know, a competitive bidding process. Right. I came onto the program in 2006, and this started in 2005. So I just missed that kind of first, very first year. All the drama. Oh, I've had plenty of drama since then, but at least that initial drama. Well, given what you deal with every day. (laughs) So you've been with Networks Northwest for 13 years? Since 2006, yeah. I'll do that math. I think that was right. (laughs) But what was your, did your journey start uh, in this direction? Or did you start with Networks Northwest doing something else and found your way into this? So as long as I've been with Networks Northwest since 2006, I've been with this program. 
Wow. So I have a lot of history with it and have seen it evolved over the years with the Department of Corrections. Wasn't necessarily where I started out with my career, but when I did land there, you know, as life often is, just kind of put you on this tra- trajectory and right. kind of been with it ever since. And you, and I didn't say this in the title, but you oversee Region 2. Correct. So how many employees does that represent and how many regions are in the area? So Region 2 is comprised of 10 counties. So we cover Antrim, Benzie, Charlevoix, Emmett, Grand Traverse, Kalkaska, Leelanau, Manistee, Misaki, and Wexford County. Are you trained in having to do them all? Do people say rattle off all 10? It was one of the very first things I learned (laughs) working at Networks Northwest. (laughs) That's our region that we cover. Sure. So it worked out nice that that was the region too for the Offender Success Program, which is a statewide program. So it's everywhere in the state. Um, There's 10 regions that have a counterpart like me for it. Right. And your primary Networks Northwest primary services categories are workforce development, business and economic development, and community development. And then you have programs underneath, including Michigan Works, Small Business Development, the Procurement Technical Assistance Center. In your role, do you work with any of those organizations as well in your program? So it depends. Uh, We will have individuals in our program, participants who might be interested in starting their own business, or they may have had a business before they went to prison, um, and they're looking to get that ring going. Um, We'll refer them maybe to a small business development consultant to give them some advice on that. It is interesting. Networks Northwest has a variety of programs and kind of my elevator speeches, you know, we're (laughs) a headquarters for a variety of state and federal grants and programs all the way down to the local level. And there's just so much that we do and integral to the community. It's it's really great work. I'm happy to work there. Can you speak to how grants affect you? Because, you know, we've had this topic on the podcast before and kind of dispelling the myth of, hey, free money. Um, How how does that, in your eyes, work to help you succeed? So for us, specifically the Offender Success Program, we hold the contract with the Department of Corrections. So our funding is state funds. And it's something that we have to apply for and say what we're going to do with it. We're held accountable to the penny. We are audited twice a year. It's something that you know, with any other state agency, the Department of Corrections is very good at keeping an eye on what you do I with can their imagine. money. So <laughs> as far as, yeah, that cycle and what happens when different administrations come into power and they change the name of your program and they tell you you're going to do these things, it's, it's constantly kind of this flux of riding a wave while at the same time just making sure you can maintain your services, you can maintain those positive community relationships, and you can just kind of keep the ball going. Wow. And then in the background, you know, manage all that. So you need to constantly have somebody who's just got their eye on the the regulatory portion and what you need to do to be compliant with this. It's a big part of what I do. Yeah, just that's a big part of what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So Networks Northwest's vision, the vision statement. I like this a lot. (laughs) And it leads into a question and it starts with we envision a diverse and resilient economy in Northwest Michigan. Mm -hmm. So looking back, how do you define a diverse and resilient economy 10 years ago? And has that changed since for our area? Wow, that's a good question, Ryan. For our, so what would I envision it 10 years ago? Yeah, what, what did it look like to you? Ago. What did that a diverse and, and uh, resilient economy? I was very tired 10 years ago. That was when my son was born. He was 10. <laughs> so I was very exhausted back then. But, you know, I think it's everybody being inclusive and appreciating everybody's differences and being able to listen and have conversations like this and not necessarily 
having that stigma. That's a big part of what we do is trying to, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's reentry, whether it's, you know, small businesses, we're, you know, constantly looking at how we can destigmatize some of these myths that are out there that, you know, evidence shows and research shows can be good for our community. Right. Well, a, a diverse economy, I think, was really a different notion 10 years ago. And, and looking oh, for forward, sure. mm-hmm. since all of these advancements in inclusion and, and people getting on board with these things, I think that's a good thing. But you hold a BA in sociology and are a licensed master social worker. Correct. Yep. So were the seeds for this, you know, helping offenders reenter society, was this notion, you know, were those seeds planted in school or did this kind of grow after? That's a good question. Um, so originally, you know, when I went to school and I decided I wanted to go into social work and be a master's level, I was very intrigued with the administrative side of what I, a big part of what I do as administrative social worker. Did not necessarily think I'd be working with this population. Um, however, my last year of graduate school, you know, they have to place you in an internship. And the instructor at the time said, I think this is going to be great for you. It's this new pilot program. I think you're going to really like it. And I was like, I am not interested in working with it, offenders. I, I did it, it seem kind of intimidating to you? What was it that initial It just reaction? seemed the complete opposite. I was very much more interested in other social justice issues, especially around, you know, women and families. I was like, this is not for me. But hey, if it gets me some experience, I'll do it for a year. I'll get my internship, get my degree, and I'll be out of here. And here I am in 2021, still doing it. I would say it got just kind of sewed. And the agency is such a great agency to work for that also helps you feel like you belong and that you're doing good work and you're treated as a professional. So then it's been rewarding for you personally, but have you since changed the notions that were in your mind before coming into it? Yes. I would tell you that when I first learned about the program, my initial thought was, well, that isn't happening already. We're not talking to individuals before they're released from prison about what's your plan, where are you going to live, where are you going to get a job. We're not connecting them with resources. I guess I had this very naive idea that this was something that was already happening and wasn't necessarily this big revolutionary initiative. I know from personal experience, it's a really uh, tough time coming out. Mm-hmm. And so say, for instance, I went and I got a college degree. Mm-hmm. And then guess what? I had to check a box over and over again. And I'm Correct. not complaining. I'm just explaining. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the way it is. And it's almost heartbreaking. And luckily, for me, there was uh, Michigan works around and there's Mm -hmm. some other organizations, the Grand Travers Band, I'm a tribal citizen, there was some hands up that I was able to access. And it's good to know that networks Northwest is there doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you you bring up a really good, it can be so discouraging. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, you know, what we do, I have staff that work one on one with individuals, you know, the that first week they're out, you know, and helping them prepare. And to the Department of Corrections credit, they have made a lot of changes in the past five to six years in terms of preparing individuals. We have, they have actual certification programs now where people can come out with a master mechanics license. And so we're Mm. able now to work with them and then prepare. So when these individuals come out, we can, like, you are going to have to check a box, but this is how you're going to handle that situation. And don't give up because... You know, you're going to maybe hear a lot of no's before you hear a yes, but you'll hear a yes. And like you said, having that support system, you know, all the research shows is what makes such a difference for people. Well, and hopefully the tide keeps on trending towards the Mm -hmm. destigmatization of this Mm -hmm. and more and more employers looking at people with nonviolent crimes Mm -hmm. and misdemeanors even 
and saying this person well, deserves a chance. Yeah, for example, for me in particular, as far as stigmas changing, I mean, laws change. Yes. So in 2003, I'm a felon for manufacturing cannabis. Mm -hmm. Today, there's a lot of very successful businesses manufacturing mm -hmm. cannabis. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Including Jim Belushi. <laughs> He's a good dude. <laughs> Met him behind the casino. He's yeah. doing it. Well, we had a phone conversation earlier, and we talked about when life was normal. I was at a Traverse Connect lunch, uh, mm -hmm. and the topic was absolutely this. Mm -hmm. How many eligible workers for the workforce that are available, and this is when companies were hurting for labor, yeah. in skilled trades specifically, mm -hmm. And I believe the number was close to 5 million in the state of Michigan. Could that be accurate? Oof, I'm not a numbers person. So I don't know. And it will not I hold say, you to this. And but this is just it would my, not necessarily surprise me. To and be these, honest are, with these you. are individuals who yeah. are not being employed because of a felony on their record. Mm -hmm. Is the problem it's just not looked into because there's the box that you have to check? What are we doing to educate employers to mm -hmm. maybe look deeper and yeah. just look beyond that checked box? Yeah. You bring up a really good point. That is a big part of what our program does. Not only do we work with the individuals who are coming back home that are formerly incarcerated, but we work directly with employers in trying to do exactly what you're saying, educate them, that the talent pool has evolved and you are missing an opportunity to really tap into a whole segment of it that, quite frankly, are very motivated. The majority of these individuals that we see want a job desperately they want to work hard they want to do better they want to start over so they're very motivated the majority of them are very skilled they had occupations prior or they got trained in the prison or we're working with them to get skilled and they have additional people that are there for support you know we think of like parole agents and those got you guys but a lot of them they're on their side as long as they're following the rules and you're towing the line they want to see you succeed just as much as anybody else so and then they have us. So there's a whole support system for this talent pool that can be really great. And even those that aren't part of our program, like you were saying, you know, checking that box, that doesn't necessarily mean you should be eliminated, even if it was a violent offense. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to be a good worker right. and show up every day. And we always say, like, what your crime is is something that you did. It's not who you, who are. you are. So that's what we need to educate employers on. And individuals in that particular scenario may be the most loyal yes we see that they know what often. it's like to lose Absolutely. and that could be you know mm -hmm. years from their family yep their previous job For that sure. they cared about because of one thing so we talked about how businesses view these candidates mm -hmm. how are we doing locally how do you think we do locally and is there a local business that kind of leads in your estimation mm -hmm. we're not holding you to numbers <laughs> who leads in this regard and embraced it maybe first um not one in particular is popping in my mind. What I can tell you, though, is that through our 10 counties, we do work with maybe over 100 employers in our 10 counties. There's wow. so many that are willing to work with us and step up because, like you're saying, they're looking for help. And once they get to the point like, okay, that's what they did, but what can they do? And at the end of the day, exactly what you're saying, they want somebody who's loyal, who's going to show up, who's going to do the job. And if we can prepare them to do that, it's happening. So, you know, back from 2006 to now, it was quite an education that we had to do over time. But now you can go to many employers and they've heard of our program or they've heard of Networks Northwest. They've heard of Northwest Michigan. They know there's incentives. They know that there's support and they're a lot more willing to 
listen to us now. So incentives. I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. I, I read about that. Can you talk a little bit more about what is incentivizing to a business? Sure. Yeah. So there's a few different incentives. Number one, with our program, we can offer subsidized wages for an employer to just give them a chance. And then after a month, you know, if you don't choose to hire them, that's fine. But the success rate we have with that is phenomenal. I mean, it's almost 100%. If we're willing to offer that incentive to an employer, just give them a chance. We'll subsidize their wage. No out-of-pocket for you. Right. That's been a really great incentive we do. There's also federal bonding that employers can do, so it protects them against if they feel they're worried about insurance or liability. And I would just say as far as people in our program, just the support that they're given. If you're an employer and you hire someone and they're not showing up a couple of days or they're late, you can call my job developer and say, hey, I don't know what's going on with this guy. And we can wrap around him real quick and be like, what's up? Well, I can't, right. you know, I can't, my car's broke down. All right, let's figure out how to get that fixed. You got to keep this job, man. So we're there to help the employer through those so they don't have to navigate those as well. So it's almost not just a support for the participant, but for the employer as well. Yeah, yeah with that type of wraparound support, do you also help with the community? That's supporting this individual? Like family, family friends like family, that? Family, friends, Not directly with neighbors. our funding, but it's something that um, we do try to connect with community resources. So for individuals that are in our program, if they're being referred to us, they're usually the highest risk and the highest need, meaning that they probably don't have a natural support system in the community already. But if they do and they are looking for help, then we work with local agencies that we can refer them out to and make that connection to get that help. But we don't okay. actually have so, so staff the, to do the it. The emphasis is more on the individual mm-hmm. and not the community. Is there any programs within your organization or that you know of that is educating just the greater community? So that Outside it doesn't <laughs> so that yes, yeah, so that it doesn't stigmatize yeah. the people as much because a lot of times it's not just the employer. Think of tradesmen that are hard up for help right now. I mean yeah. it's just hard to find help. And you take on a guy and maybe they're not going to be able to pass a background and, mm-hmm. and homeowners don't necessarily want that individual in their house. Yeah. And, you know. So this right here, I mean, this is a big part of what we try to do is doing this outreach and education to the community and just trying to get the word out about it. Over these past 15 years or so, I can tell you that there was a time when I would show up to a community meeting that had every other resource, you know, community agency sitting around the table and they wouldn't know the first thing about anybody on parole or the Department of Corrections or offender success. But I would argue now you could probably go to any of those meetings today and they would know, well, we could call Jessica or we can call. I know that parole agent now. So it's like for me, what I've witnessed has been more of a slow burn as far as like just that constant presence has made us integrate into the community more. So we still have a lot of work to do, definitely. But at least we're at the table now and people know that there is help out there for people that have a criminal background or who are on parole. Wow, that's interesting. And I'm not trying to to shame, but it, it led me to a question a little later. But we tend to say these guys, these guys, yeah. but they're also yeah. women. Uh, yes. True. Again, not trying to shame. Yeah. But it was something that I wrote down later. There have to be women in the program as well, or there, mm-hmm. there's opportunities there? Yeah, absolutely. We serve male and female. You know, Statistically, looking at those that are incarcerated, the majority are men. Yes, yeah. Of all the prisons in Michigan, we only have one woman's prison. And the rest, I think, we're down to 40. In all of the state? 40. Yeah. In mm-hmm. all of the state? Wow, mm-hmm. okay. We only have one state prison for women. The last statistic I saw, maybe it was like 
three to seven percent are women. So it is a small number. But unfortunately, that number has been creeping up over the past 15 years as far as women that are being convicted and coming back home. So, yeah, exactly the same. If they're referred our program, we can provide them with the same resources. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. I read an article and I just wanted to run this by you. Because this topic has been specifically very interesting to me, Mm -hmm. and I've had friends who could have benefited from this Mm. a long time ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it said four key elements of successful reentry programs. I just want to run through this and see what you think. Start early. Clients, not offenders. View them as people. Mm -hmm. I thought the nomenclature was important. Uh, Reassessed post-incarceration monitoring, uh, because a lot of them can go back to prison on a technicality if Mm -hmm. they're not careful. And then an insistence on evidence showing success. Are those four pretty critical or the most critical? Yes. So the offender success program is an evidence-based program based on those exact things that you just stated. So our model is the day somebody is incarcerated and they go to that reception area, you start talking about when they're going to get out and you start preparing them for it. We do evidence-based assessments So everybody that is incarcerated is getting assessed their risk and their needs level so that we know what they're going to need while they're in there. And then when they come out and they're tested again, all of those go into the model at some respect, for sure. So they can start this partnership with you from the beginning. Not necessarily with Networks Northwest offenders. So it's how our model for the Department of Corrections is set up. It's in different phases. And we're kind of that phase three. So phase one is when they go in day one. What are you doing? We're kind of at that end when now you're out. How are you going to be successful out? Right. Can you talk about the vocational villages? Yeah. There's three of them. Is that true across the state at this point? Or are there more? I believe there's three now. Jackson, Ionia, and Ypsilanti. Yes. And I thought this was fantastic. I didn't Mm -hmm. know if you were a part of it or not. But yeah, talk to us about vocational villages. Yeah, this is something that definitely give the Department of Corrections a lot of credit for doing. It's a very exciting program, and I've been down to visit the one in Ionia. So these are individuals, they get screened, and if they're found to pass that screening eligibility, they can actually attend, you know, kind of think of it as like a career tech center, but in the prisons. So they're going through the exact same training, whether it's CNC, you know, getting their commercial driver's license, CDL, a lot of skilled trades, lot and, of skilled trades yeah. certified mechanics are coming out. And this out. is while they're incarcerated, incarcerated still. Incarcerated, yeah. It's literally, think of a, you know, a career tech center right in the prisons. And I mean, employers are giving individuals that are incarcerated job offers and saying, here's your job offer day one, come out and see me. It's extraordinary. It's really, really And great they, program. as I understand it, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. still it's incarceration, like but yeah. it's more communal Correct, uh, there's yeah. education that happens in the evenings there's different yep. things that happen so they, yeah them. everybody who's in vocational village they're all in the same housing unit so they're all together at the same time so they're not getting mixed with you know the general population or other people who aren't part of it right so there really is this cohesion of they're all working towards the same goal um, and there's an application process so anybody yeah, who just thinks they want the easy life no they yeah. they need to yep they're screened yeah lansing at central office screens and determines who's eligible for that in lansing incredible mm-hmm. There's a really compelling video on it. And the thing that I pulled from it is a gentleman who said, when I get out of prison and if I live next door to you, would you want me a skilled person who's ready to contribute? Or would you want me somebody who's probably going to be back in here? Yeah. 
And you hear that, you just hear that and you see that and it's so earnest Mm -hmm. and you see somebody who really made a mistake and really is trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's right. very profound. And, you know, going there was very profound, too. They've had job fairs there, you know, pre-COVID, where they would be set up and they would have their resumes and they were ready to interview. And it was really profound to see. I mean, these are individuals that are ready to come home and ready to work. And as of June 2018, graduate employment rate was 63 percent. Mm-hmm which is amazing. Has that jumped a little bit? Sorry to hit you with a stat. I don't know. I don't know if that has jumped or not, to be honest with you. I don't know the statewide statistics on that, but it sounds about right. And as of that time, mm-hmm. there were 477 employer partners, and that's a that pretty large right. amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do you go about securing employer partners? Is mm-hmm. that That's an interesting pitch. <laughs> that is, It is, and that is really the challenge. This is something that we have tried really hard to get out and educate our local employers about that this is an opportunity. We actually had an opportunity a couple years ago to take an employer down there so they could see it. Kalkaska Screw out in Kalkaska, they came down to actually go inside and they saw it and they hired people from there. So that's really the challenge is educating them and letting them know. And you have to have an employer that has an open enough mind and doesn't have that, you know, stigma that, nope, they committed a crime. They're not even worth offering a job to. So that's really the challenge that we try to work every day to battle against. And the more we think about it, and this is not a political show, but politics have to affect your work. But what's great is the past few presidential administrations have all been very supportive of these kind of initiatives. You have Operation New Hope, Ready for Work, which is a bigger program that presidents have uh, supported. Obama administration with a fair chance business pledge, which I think was trying to get rid of the the box and engage companies like Google, Starbucks and Coca-Cola. What's the current climate right now? Is the current climate politically still supportive of what you're doing? Anything new that's happening on a national level that's helping you? So nationally, it's hard for me to comment just because our funding comes from the state. Obviously, that does have an impact in terms of, like you said, the climate. We're lucky enough in Michigan that this program has been around long enough and that we have positive outcomes to show the legislature that in dollars matter, like we are saving the state money, that we have bipartisan support in the state of Michigan. And we have for the past three administrations. They do like, like I said, like to change the name or like (laughs) do their own little twist on it. But at the end of the day, it works and whatever side aisle you're on, you can't deny the savings and you can't deny that it is helping communities be safer. So we're lucky in that regard. That's an aspect of it that I think maybe doesn't get enough attention is that safety in the community. You have somebody who's focused on doing something they're trained for and they have a Mm -hmm. purpose and they have some humanity Yeah, and they're not maybe, you know, doing something that they shouldn't. 2018, the clean slate campaign launched. Mm-hmm. which was something I think that was interesting about automatic felony expungement under certain criteria. Mm-hmm. Michigan signed it into legislation in 2020. Mm-hmm. Did that open more doors to make your life easier? Well, not quite yet, but maybe it will. So Networks Northwest, Northwest Michigan Works, will be starting, it's called a clean slate program, where we'll actually be able to work with individuals who Is are interested. Is this a scoop? Did we, are we scooping this I mean, program maybe, on the show? Maybe, perhaps. Yeah. All right, cool. You you maybe heard it here (laughs) first, folks. Yeah. Um, Where, yeah, we'll have people that will work with individuals who are interested in getting expunged, and it'll be in partnership 
somehow with some sort of legal services as well. But that's a new program that's coming out from the state that we'll be administering. So we'll see where that goes. It was something like that, maybe, you know, attention diverted, obviously, because of what's been going on for the last... uh over we'll a year. See. Yeah, we'll see. Because U of M research suggests that only 6.5% of people successfully expunge a conviction yeah. within five years of becoming eligible. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these are, are not major things to be worrying about, and they're just yeah. carrying this and carrying this. Yeah. And again, the box stops them. Yeah, and it can seem very overwhelming and discouraging, and you just want to get on with your life, and there's a lot of paperwork. I mean, it just. You know, from any experience I've heard from individuals, it just seems like right. I just don't want to deal with it. I've already dealt with the government. I've dealt with bureaucracy. I've dealt with... It's I just easy want to, to give up on. at that yeah, point. It's yeah. easy. It, it truly is. I tried. So I uh, got a felony conviction in 2003. And I tried by myself in 2012. And I was unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty heartbreaking then. Yeah. And then in 2015, when some legislation changed as far as some of the guidelines and being able to have everything removed, that pushed me to try again. Mm-hmm. And this time, saved up a little bit of cash and got myself somebody who could really go fight for me. But not everybody has those types of resources financially yeah. and or falls within those guidelines all the time. So like whatever we can do to help help mm-hmm. some of these guys out, especially those that do fall within the guidelines, because sometimes you just don't know about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this yeah. was like, for me, even learning of it was just kind of like a dumb luck thing. It just kind of, my sister had heard about something and said something, but it's not like it was ever... Like it, on like your it radar? Ever, like it ever yeah. came to me. Yeah. yeah. And I think programs like this, when applied appropriately, mm-hmm. are good. It, it's an automatic. It's trying to make things a little easier for people in that criteria. We've talked about the savings to the state. I, I mean, mm-hmm. and the money is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Safety in the communities. Mm-hmm. Help for our fellow people. Mm-hmm. And we're doing an okay job. Do other countries do this better? Oh, good question. I imagine so. <laughs> I don't know for sure. You I guys don't like check out the, what's Denmark doing, I'm, you know? That was like, I was going to go right to Scandinavia. Because their sure prisons they're doing are something. like, like <laughs> right? you know, kind of limited service hotels in this country. Yeah, yeah. Prior to... COVID, I'm sure you went to events and things like that. Mm-hmm. D- they didn't really talk about, you know what, so-and-so is really killing it in this space. Maybe we can partner. Maybe we can find out how they're making this work or not. Mm-hmm. Not so much at the state level. That may be happening more at the federal level. I think it'd be nice if more of that was happening. However, we are dealing with a state agency. And as you said, like, you have to think about that pendulum kind of shifts back and forth. And we are coming off a very long shift from the 80s and 90s when we were very tough on crime. Right. We were locking up a lot of people for a lot of things because that was what our culture got behind as a country. And so in the big scheme of things, you know, only being 30 some years out from that, it's still a long road ahead. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done, but there still has to be a lot of shift in that culture of how we are tackling crime and how we are tackling people that commit crime. Right. Well, if we are lucky enough to get international listeners, you know, get at hey, us. Hey, get it out, yeah. If uh, you're really killing it in this <laughs> space <laughs> and let us know what you're doing in Denmark. I don't know why I keep going to Denmark. <laughs> are there ways to support your program, either through volunteering, through donations? Mm-hmm. We're not in a position right now to necessarily accept cash donations. I would we could. It's just not something that we go out and if somebody dropped it off at the front door. I'd be door. like, we'll figure out a way to use it. Okay. But we're always, 
I would say, you know, our biggest support is just getting that word out and having conversations with your community members and advocating and feel free to contact me. I'm happy to talk to any groups. I'm happy to, you know, come present and talk with people. If you're a business, if you're an employer, get in touch with us. If you are looking to volunteer and you think you might want to work with the program somehow, you know, talk to me, let me know. We have a lot of luckily, you know, kind of leeway to kind of create and develop things. So just because we don't have something going on right now doesn't mean we can't. So we're always open. And that's a good point. Uh, If you're a business and you're interested, Mm -hmm. this would be a great first stop to saying, you know what, I'm interested in this process. I'm interested in what it's Mm -hmm. like to hire somebody in this position or I'd like to be a partner and what can we do Mm -hmm. to... Or a landlord. We're always looking for housing. Housing. Absolutely. That's, yeah, number one. (laughs) Number one and number two, housing and jobs. Do you work with other housing organizations in the area? Very active with our local, like the Northwest Michigan Coalition to End Homelessness. Been active with them for years. Work very closely with them. We primarily work with private landlords. That's just kind of the nature that it's been here in our rural area. Yeah. We don't have a lot of large, you know, housing property management groups that are available. So that's been a real struggle for us. We have a lot of people that come back home that don't have anywhere to go and would otherwise be homeless unless we could find a place for them. So we're always, always looking for housing, which everybody, you know, is always looking for housing in our area. But um, it's a huge, huge need, huge need. Well, uh, the website is networksnorthwest.org. Is that the best way to get information? Sure. Yeah. Check us out on there. And and. It's a question I tend to ask, do you have a favorite movie that has something to do with Ooh, somebody movie. successfully reintegrating or a favorite prison movie or mm, not Shawshank. prison movie? <laughs> not Shawshank Redemption. No. I tend, it's interesting because I tend not to watch those just because of work. I'm like, I That's can't. Enough. Well, you know, hopefully they're, they're either documentary or not. There is film out there that showcases there this There is. Successfully. I'm sure there is, yeah. You should have told me that before. I would have thought that's a hard. That's one. the spontaneity. I might get back. That's the spontaneity of a podcast. We'll have you yeah. back on. Yeah, yeah. Follow we'll up. hit the hard hitting <laughs> questions. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for your pursuits and to all those who pursue along with you, helping individuals reenter society, the workforce, and their lives. Quite frankly, with dignity and humanity. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for what you do. And to our listeners, thank you all for listening and for pursuing the positive. it is one more time the pursuit of podcast thank you so much to jessica willis from the offender success program at networks northwest to get involved and for more information networksnorthwest.org and also want to give a big shout out to our supporters tin lid hat company tinlidco.com use promo code the pursuit of for 40 percent off to our listeners And for general production inquiries and for podcasting, visit newleonard.com.